Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. All right, welcome back to another episode. I'm Sung Kang. And I'm Amelia Hartford. And today we have a personal hero of mine. I've been waiting to meet this gentleman for a long time. Growing up, most kids play with Legos. But at eight years old, our guest was building engines in his dad's shop. He is a true artisan and a lover of the 356 Porsche, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite cars. And it's inspirational because he is part of Limbs for Life, a Mm -hmm. charity. He is truly dedicated and has a great humble attitude. And he has such a crazy, amazing story. And he builds these incredible classic Porsches. And he's been doing it his entire life. And so without further ado, we'd love to welcome Rod Emery. Did you drive your uh, gray GT3 over here? Yeah. The one that you got rear-ended years ago? Yeah, I was on the 210 on the way to the Pomona swap meet and got rear-ended. My son and I were in the... uh, carpool lane and a single driver in a Ford truck hit us at about 40 and we were stopped so it was a good hit did it total it no I mean I could have had him total it Mm -hmm. but for me it was it was more about just I mean I love that car and I I didn't want it to go get crushed so Mm -hmm. you know that car and that post you did yeah when you got rear-ended it was a defining moment of what my impression of you today is and I actually took that as like a huge lesson that post because you know, I'm around all these car folks, yeah. and some of their perspective and their energy is like super toxic and, and, and negative, right. right? So, you know, I'll be around somebody and like, you know, somebody will like lean on their car or there's, you know, there's a little ding by their kid and they flip out. They're right. like, like, it's like the end of the world. And it's like, how dare you touch my car? You're like, you know how much this is worth? 
And your post was, in, I don't remember it verbatim, but it was like, you know, to paraphrase, it was something like, you know, it's just a car. At the end of the day, this sucks, but it's just a car. I right. still have my health. No one got hurt. Yep. And I was like, that's such a great attitude. And that's probably like a $200,000 car, oh, yeah. two, quarter million dollar car. Yep. And I was like, this says a lot about who Mr. Emery is because... <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's just a great perspective. It's like uh, a great teaching moment. I don't know if you're aware of that. I, I, not really. You know, I just, it's, it's just kind of who I am. And, you know, I mean, these cars to me, even the cars that I build, you know, sure, I make a living. But for me, it's really about connecting with people and helping people enjoy the cars themselves. Yeah. You know, that's why, you know, you asked, did, did it get totaled? It wasn't about the value of the car to me. It was about the connection I have with the car and mm-hmm. the memories that I've made with my wife and kids. And also that car had a special purpose and meaning for me. You know, we go through trials and ups and downs in business, in life. And there's certain times when you reward yourself or you kind of put a carrot out there to chase. And that car was that carrot for me Mm. that kind of drove me through a lot of like trials, I guess. You know, I mean, I grew up just like every young boy or young girl that is into cars wanting to be a race car driver. I grew up racing off-road and motocross and wanted to be that race car driver, but didn't have the money to, to, to do it. Didn't have the parents with deep pockets and, you know, just ground hard, like all through high school. And the business that I built starting in like the late 80s, early 90s was so that I could go racing. I was building race cars for people and then putting them in trucks and taking them racing. And it was just a way for me to kind of fuel my racing desire, you mm-hmm. know? And so we would, we provided track support and transportation and like we would store the cars and all that. We built this great business. I had, you know, 30 clients that we'd take racing all over the country. Most of my clients were super high net worth guys, you know, um, guys that want, you know, that had successful businesses, you know, billion dollar companies. But then the economy took a big shit, as you know, like in 2008, right? And everything changed and everybody's perspective changed. And my business changed dramatically. Most of them stopped racing, not because they couldn't afford it, but it was more of a social responsibility. Just, you know, how can you lay people off? How can you start cutting your business? And then on the weekends, you know, go and spend 10 grand or 15 grand to have Rod Emery take you racing, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And so overnight the business changed and I was forced to make a pivot in my business where it was primarily focused on vintage racing, track support, and, and hospitality. So I was forced to, you know, just, retool my business and Mm -hmm. luckily i sold my trucks before they didn't have any value and you know and just kind of regrouped that was all a very quick decision to make then selling all the trucks and having to force that pivot right well i was really looking out for my employees looking out Mm -hmm. for my family and just saying look you know i wasn't letting my ego i need to you know be the business guy with my racing and my trucks it was more about like kind of survival and pivot Mm -hmm. and kind of re-gear up And that's when our business flipped from being focused on vintage race cars and taking people racing to what you see today. And it took me, you know, a few years. I also transitioned from Oregon Hmm. back here to California where I grew up. Okay, before you continue, (laughs) I want to know how you got into the 356. Because that is my favorite, favorite Porsche ever made. And... I just, I love the way it looks. And because I love that car so much, it's how I actually discovered Rod Emery and your 
pieces of art. I don't consider them cars. I consider them like moving art. So give us the origin story yeah. of how that love affair began. For sure. Yeah. Um, it, it really predates me. Um, you know, it kind of goes back to my grandfather and my father. So my grandfather was Neil Emery. He's in the Hot Rod Hall of Fame, and he was one of the pioneers, really the pioneer of what you call channeling and sectioning an American hot rod. So, you know, everybody talks about chopping the top, you know, mm -hmm. making the windshield smaller. Mm -hmm. My grandfather kind of took the harder route to, to do the work, and he would channel it, so drop the body over the frame, mm -hmm. and he would section it, which is like if you've got a door that's like 36 inches thick, he'd take four or five inches out of it and make the door and the whole side profile of the car thinner. That's called sectioning. Mm. So he had a shop in Burbank. They were focused on hot rodding. And you know the car, the belly tanker that Bruce Meyer has? It's the SoCal belly tanker. It's a land speed record car. Okay. And it, it it's actually the tank off of the bottom of a uh, an airplane. So mm. it's kind of bullet shaped. Um, that There was that car. And then there was a car called the SoCal Streamliner that my grandfather built in the f late 40s, early 50s. And um, it was the first hot rod over... 200 miles an hour. So wow. he built the body. Mm -hmm. So he was a craftsman. Mm -hmm. His cars, um, you know, one shows like the Oakland Roadster Show or equivalent today would be like the Grand National Roadster Show. So that was his business. And then in the 60s, he saw the kind of business change, not as much like craftsmanship of reshaping bodies. So he went to work for Porsche in 1962. Mm -hmm. And then my dad graduated high school, and started working at the same Porsche dealership. So my family kind of went from being into hot rods and now into Porsche. And so when I was born in 74, um, I mean, I came home from Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach in a fat-fendered 911 <laughs> with a ducktail on it. Mm -hmm. You know, that was what my dad drove me home in. So you'd think I'd be into 911s, mm -hmm. you know, not 356s. Wait, just a sidestep. Was it your dad or your uh, granddad who did the first Baja buggy? Yeah, my dad built the first Baja bug where you cut the the nose and the tail off and radius the wheel wells. And, and uh, yeah, so he did so that cool. in 1967. He rolled a little VW bug that had been rear-ended. So the front and rear were smashed. He rolled it into the body shop where mm -hmm. my grandfather was doing the work. And he says... Dad, let's make this thing an off-road vehicle. And they did. They oh, and, so cool. and it was amazing. So it was on all the covers of the magazines. And then a friend of his did the first like fiberglass kit based off of that idea. Mm -hmm. wow. And we should yeah. probably explain what Baja is if you want to give a little detail. Yeah. A Baja bug is um is a Volkswagen beetle that, you know, you raise up and put bigger tires on it and, you know, more clearance on the fenders and you take the front suspension beam and twist it up so it lifts the thing up and and raise the rear and you can go out in the desert. And then, yeah. you know, ultimately people started racing them, you know, in the Baja 1000 and back then um, the Mexican 1000. Mm -hmm. Primarily off-road, open the desert yep. style racing. Exactly. But my dad, he was the parts manager at the dealership. And then he had this idea, you know, you got a car dealership and it's got a parts department in it. Porsche, you know, would say, okay, you got to buy this car, but you also have to have room for all of these parts so that you can service and support the cars. But the models were changing so much. So they'd take all those parts that are there from the previous years and they'd send them back to a warehouse. And the warehouse was about the size of a Costco 
and if you can imagine, full of Porsche parts. They oh, were new Porsche parts. I would parts. love to see that today. And the warehouse was filling up, literally spilling over. Like if stuff fell off the shelves, they would broom sweep it into a back room. And when that room was full, they'd put it in dumpsters and they'd throw it away. Oh, wow. Whoa. Imagine this is 19, late 60s, early 70s. And imagine all the parts from the 356s and the early 911s, even some like race car stuff like the spiders and some of that being thrown away because there just wasn't any room in these warehouses in the United States. So my dad went to Volkswagen, who was organizing all the stuff, and Porsche, and said, I want to buy all of what they considered then distributor obsolescence. Porsche sold him, you know, all these parts for like 10 cents on the dollar. And then he warehoused them, and then he's really the one that started supplying those parts to everybody that was restoring those cars. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in a building that was about 10 or 12,000 square feet that was floor to ceiling, 356 Porsche parts. Wow. So as early as I can remember, five, six years old, I went to work with my dad any chance I could get. Older listeners on here will know what a microfiche is, but a microfiche is like a, you know, a machine that you put this little film in and you kind of search for parts. Now we do it all on a computer, but back in the day, it was like these little films. And, and so when I go to work with my dad, I'd put the little microfiche in and I'd look for parts and then I'd go back in the parts warehouse and I'd pull the parts and I'd look at them and I could build anything I wanted out of all the parts. I just had to put the stuff back after I was done. So like when I was like eight years old, I told my dad, I said, I want to build an engine. And he says, well, we've got everything here. So just go find the parts. Really? You know? And so I would go out and they were all brand new 356 or 911 Porsche parts. And I'd try to build an engine. With guidance or nope. figure it out, son? My dad, my dad's busy selling parts, yeah. right? It was just, that's what so kept How did you learn? How did you know what, to put bearings in that's there? What, and that's what kept me occupied because my dad had all the parts manuals. He had all the workshop manuals. So you followed step-by-step so step guide Just on. as a kid, I'm just kind of like looking at stuff. At eight and just, years old. And just going, a, oh, I love this. And yeah. then- and then I started going to work with my grandfather and I started learning how to weld and I started learning how to do some of that stuff. And so just as a young kid, anything I could do to fill that kind of passion of cars I was doing. So that's how things kind of started for me was, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't look at the cars as a whole car. I was looking at it in little pieces. Well, kind of what it is, right? And how you raise on first the engine and then it sounds like working for your grandfather, then the body and then... It just kind of started to compound. You know, I mean, I went to school just like every kid, but when I wasn't in school, I was, you know, working on mechanical things. And mm -hmm. some of the real, like, mechanical experience mm -hmm. was when I was 13 years old, I went to work for a guy that, um, he owned a big fastener company, but he was a drag racer. And he gave myself and six other kids an opportunity to be the pit crew on a top field dragster. Whoa. So from when I was 13 until I was 16, we raced a front engine like nostalgia top field dragster. Hmm. So in 1987, we were NDRA champions, which was the Nostalgia Drag Racing Association top field champions. And we were, the entire crew was under 15 years old. Wow. wow. What a cool opportunity at such a young age. Yeah. So I traveled around doing that. And then in 87, we were hired by a, a, a guy to run a NHRA top field dragster. So, wow. you know, by the time I was 15 years old, I had rebuilt motorcycle engines. A wealth I of knowledge. Built Porsche engines. I, you know, raced off road, and I had been drag racing for and, three years. And you hadn't owned a vehicle yet, right? Because at 16 is when you get your license. Yeah, so I had, I had, a, <laughs> I had a Carmen Ghia that I was putting you together. That was your first car. No, my well, my first car that I bought was uh -huh. a '53 Porsche 356, but it was a but it took 
two years to restore it. Okay. So my first car that I got that I thought I was going to drive to high school was, mm-hmm. yeah, a Carmen Ghia. I've always wanted one of those. To kind of circle back to the 356 thing. When I was 14, my dad's selling parts for 356s, and and I love the shape of the car. I love the cars. And my dad and I found a really rusty 53 Porsche 356. So he bought it as a gift for me, paid $1,200 for it. And $1,200? Yeah. How much would you say that they are today, just for clarity of people listening, if they want to buy um A 53. Yeah. So yeah. to buy exactly what my dad paid $1,200 for, yeah. in, and that was in 1988. Okay. I just bought one that I'm um, building for Vivian Campbell. He's the guitarist for Def Leppard. Okay. So I bought a same, almost identical to the car, and I paid $95,000 for it. <laughs> was it running? No. Oh, <laughs> no. It's, it's, it's what I yeah. It's what I consider a donor car. Wow. Isn't it crazy how much prices have gone up? Jeez. So my dad bought that for me for twelve hundred dollars, and, and then he had a right hand drive sixty five car. So we built these two cars over a, the course of two years, and then uh, I found an old Chaparral race car trailer, and I did the work and got it all dialed in. So I kind of had like this little race team that I had put together and finished all of that when I was 16. And that was kind of how I got into the the Porsche vintage racing thing. You know, I was super fortunate. I mean, my parents weren't wealthy. My dad was hardworking, small business owner. Mm-hmm. You know, fortunately, Porsches were his thing. You have a work ethic that can't be taught, though. And, and that was something that was instilled in me from my grandfather. You know, I saw him grind his whole life. My dad and mom grinding their whole life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dad gave me that opportunity. He says, you can, this can be your car, but you've got to restore it. Mm-hmm. And I did from when I was 14 to 16 years old. When I wasn't at school or when I wasn't drag racing, I was in the shop. And and so I finished the car when I was 16 and then got my vintage racing license at Willow Springs when I was 16 years old. The or, fastest track in the West. It was, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's, but so I, yeah, I got my, my racing license and then I started racing at events in Southern California. Um, so all this was just kind of fun and games, you know, as a kid. But I wanted to be a race car driver and, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be one. You know, once mm-hmm. it's once it's in your blood, you just, it's like, I got to do it. But I was racing my little Porsche in Portland at the Historics in 93. And I met a guy that was sponsoring the event. So he was the, you know, kind of the title sponsor. And he had a little potato chip company, Kettle Potato Chips or Kettle Foods. And he came up at the end of the race weekend or throughout the weekend and said, man, I'd love to have a race car. I'd love to do what you do. And and that started a relationship that is now 30 years strong. Was that um, your first client? Yep. What? He okay. was the first person that kind of entrusted us to build a car for him uh-huh. and to load it in a trailer and take him racing. Wow. Wait, how old were you then? I was 19. 19. So does yeah. he still have that car you built? He doesn't him? have that car anymore, but... Another one of my clients owns it in Sweden. So that's considered the first Rod Emery Porsche build? Well, my 53, my the car that I built for myself is really for a client. The, for a client. For yeah, them, for, for, the, for a client. That's the first one that was built that I like, you know, maintained and supported wow. and all that. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year 
equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. That is a truly special aspect of the car community, to know where that car is and to be in touch with a new owner. On that note, do you still have the car you built for yourself, the 53356? No. Oh, I know. Um, what happened? That's a whole other story. Oh. That's a great story, though. Okay. Let's hear um, it. Yeah. Let's you want to hear it now? Yeah. 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 So the vintage racing stuff continued. Mm-hmm. Just people from all different walks of life would come to me and you know want to go vintage racing. And so I'd build cars for them and take them racing. And so that was the business. And I was racing with them and against them in my little 53 Porsche. But our clients wanted to also go experience the higher level side of racing. Mm-hmm. So we put a program together and ran a new GT3 in the what was then called the Rolex series. Now it's the IMSA series. 
and I was one of the drivers, and my co-driver was an amputee. He was a guy that I raced motocross with when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. but he had lost his leg racing motocross, and he didn't have any insurance when he lost his leg, and his soul was crushed, and so— And hospital bills are expensive. Crazy expensive. So this was about 2002, so my clients and I kind of got together, and we got him rehabilitated, got him a new prosthetic limb— And then I took him through the same racing program that I went through when I was 16 and said, look, instead of racing motocross, let's go race cars. And we did like the um, 25 hours of Thunder Hill. We did eight hours at Portland. We did a bunch of like, you know, enduro type stuff just Mm -hmm. to get him some experience. Enduro meaning endurance racing for those listening. Yeah. You know, long, long races. Yeah. Um, Got him experience. And then the two of us ran um, a GT3 Cup program at the Rolex Series. And our whole motivation behind it was for me, you know, it's a chance to go racing, but we we did it so that we could help others like him that had lost limbs. So this was 2004, five, and six. And we raised money at every race to put a limb on somebody just like him that had mm-hmm. lost it, right? So we were doing, so our car was, said the Limbs for Life Foundation, and it was all about raising money for mm-hmm. a foundation. So to go back to my first car, mm-hmm. In 2008-9, I donated it to the Limbs for Life Foundation, and we did, this was like right when Facebook was, you know, kind of ramping up, mm-hmm. Instagram hadn't started yet, and I posted two posts on Facebook that the Limbs for Life Foundation is selling $1,800 raffle tickets for my car. You did the first car giveaway, raffle giveaway before it, it, that is, was a thing. This is 2009. <laughs> so they sold 1,800 $100 tickets, raised $180,000 for the wow. Limbs for Life Foundation. And then Chris Ridgway, my co-driver that was list, mi- missing his leg, we trailered the car to Texas because that's where the foundation was based out of. Mm-hmm. And Chris pulled the ticket out of the thing and then I took it to the guy that won it. You know, there's a part of me that was sad because a car that I'd raced for 20 years that was such a special part of me was leaving my hands. But it had just raised $180,000. And the foundation took that money and used it to put limbs on 60 people. Wow. So it's hard to explain the feeling. Mm. But when you know deep down inside that you can positively impact that many people with giving up a material object, um, it changes you. Mm-hmm. And it changes you for life at the core. Mm. So the very first car I ever built, that's where it went. Wow. Um, the guy that won the car had mm-hmm. bought one $100 raffle ticket. Really? Um, and he bought it, I think, from um, uh, some guys in Colorado that had a VW shop. And I, But I delivered the car to him. He kept it for a couple of years, and then he sold it to a guy up in the Northeast, and mm-hmm. I'm still in contact with him. Oh, so that's I know. Good. Where, I, I was going to ask if you know where that car is. I today. know where the car is at. The guy, it's 100% unchanged. The guy drives it all the time. It even still has my name on. I mean, it hasn't changed at all. Like my name's hand lettered on the driver's door. My son Zane's name is hand lettered on the passenger door because Zane used to go do rallies and events with me in it. Um, but the car's exactly like it was. It's nice to know that someone's enjoying it today. Yeah, definitely. So it's still out there in the Porsche community and getting used. Beautiful. Is the foundation still around today? It is. Okay. Yeah. So so that that was a a big part of our life from like 2004 until about 2010 or 11 was working with the foundation and raising money and helping them just gain awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris Ridgway, the my buddy that 
raced. I got him into business transporting cars. Um, so, I mean, he still works with me every day. Like he's, he, he goes to all the races with us. He transports cars all over the country and he's got a big semi and trailers and, you know, so. Beautiful. Such a great story. Yeah. Losing a first car. I mean, I, I don't know if you still have your first car sung. No, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but losing my first car, it was a very emotional experience for me because you build this relationship with this piece of metal that, you know, you have all these crazy memories that go along with it and you really form this bond with this yep. vehicle. So it's it's a very emotional thing. And I didn't realize it until I had gone through it myself. And it's it doesn't have to be anything crazy modified. It can be whatever people are driving their Honda Civics today. Yeah, it, it's it creates the memories and it's yeah. the connection, yeah. you know. It's like a family member, certain cars, right? So yeah. many memories. And- well, because we relate our memories, places that we've gone, the people we've been with, they all tie back to the vehicle we were in, you yeah. know, what got us there, you know, yeah. how did we meet? You know, I've now got a memory, you know, with the two of you and it's because of cars, yeah. right? You know, listening to your story about your 53, 356, you know, the the whole ethos of this conversation and this podcast for me was to be able to share attributes about the guests that help their success in life. And, you know, the, the, the definition of success is is broad. So some people think it's just like money or, you know, fame or power. But to me, the most important aspect of success is when you see the light behind someone's eyes, right? You go, how do they keep that light shining? Mm-hmm. And, you know, good times, bad times, money, no money, nice car, piece of junk car, whatever. Like that's something that I search for every day because I don't want my light to dim. Because I, it's dimmed in my life, right? The thing that I've taken away from you know your story is that when we value material things so much, and that is kind of that's our identity of like what this material thing or this car is worth and how precious it is. It's not as powerful as your story and your relationship to a car, something that you love so much and you have so many memories. But to you, it represents this ability to help people, help 60 people, raised $180,000. And I could feel the emotion, you know, like it's so impressive, Rod. It's humbling too. And it's such a great lesson that we're not going to be able to take these things with us. No. And if we can pass it forward and do something positive with the things that we own in our life or the things that we value that are material, because I go, what do I do with my cars? Right? Yeah. What do I do with the stuff that I own, the things that I've been blessed with? And, I mean, you've taught me something today. Because if I can pass these things forward and make the world a better place, then it was all worth it. It was yeah. all worth building these things. It's all worth the hard work. It's all worth that sacrifice, you know? Yeah. So, beautiful. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, we started this conversation. You asked me, you know, about my GT3. Mm. And, you know, the reason I didn't total it is because I went through so many ups and downs in my life. I went from racing GT3 cup cars to giving away my car to struggling in business. And I told myself from like 2008 when the business kind of started to change and when I gave away my 356 to the charity and did all that, I said, you know, I'm just going to push hard. I'm going to work as hard as I can. Mm -hmm. And there'll come a point in my life where I feel that I've had enough success that I can give myself a gift of another vehicle. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had my sights, you know, early on, I was like, oh, it'll be a 997 GT3. And uh, that, you know, I wasn't, I 
wasn't even there at that point. And then, and then you just kind of keep pushing, right? And you work 24 hours a day and you do whatever you do. And I finally got to a point in 2017, 2018, where I was comfortable enough that I could buy that car and it wasn't going to keep me from putting food on the table and doing mm-hmm. what I needed to do. And it was that motivation for eight, 10 years that got me to that point. Mm. And then when it got rear-ended, you know, of course I was left with a decision. Do I total it and let it go away? There's no way. Mm. There's no, That thing could have been wadded in a ball and I would have kept yeah. it because I didn't get the car as an investment. I didn't get the car as, you know, look at me, I've got a GT3. I got that car because it was the vision, the kind of carrot for me that kept me grinding 24-7 to build the business and get to where I'm at today. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, you have to. We have to reward ourselves or at least have something to chase mm-hmm. to give us the motivation to get through some of the things that we do, right? Yeah. I don't I don't know if you heard, Amelia, but when Rod's uh, 997 GT3 got rear-ended, he did a post on Instagram. And like most guys will post like, you know, damn, horrible day I got rear-ended. It's going to cost me all this money and screw this guy. All this kind of toxic energy that goes into, look at me, feel sorry for me, sure, at this sure. expensive car, woe is me, right? But Rod's post like really hit me and I never met Rod until today. Mm-hmm. And it actually taught me something. It's like, don't put too much value, don't put any value in material things because I think his post, you know, I can't remember verbatim, but to paraphrase, it was, I'm still healthy. Mm-hmm. I'm still here. No one got hurt. It's just the car. And it's a GT3. I mean, it's like a quarter million dollar car. For some, they'd be, you know, crying yeah. the river, right? And I was like, wow, this says a lot about this person. But that's who you are as a person. You're a very positive, you're a very thankful person who, it, to you, it is, you know, it is just an item. And if, as long as you have your health and your family... You know, that's what matters. That's what, from when I've known you, that's what I gather from you. That's a sincere post. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And meeting you, I, I realized that. Like, you know, they say, you know, be careful meeting your heroes, <laughs> right? You know, well, so, because... Thank you, know, you so much. Yeah, the level of work that you put into the cars, it's like, especially today, you know, the idea of working with your hands is not... It's not it's not cherished today. It's mm-hmm. not no. celebrated, you know, and you're a true craftsman. You know, it's a An you're artist. A dying breed, right? Yeah. Are you surprised that your beloved three fifty six, like twelve hundred dollar car today is like worth so much money? Like there's like a fervor over these old vintage and it's cars. It's also because of you that this car is so expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm I'm probably part to blame for for the increase in value and and interest in the cars but you know i mean they are a very unique i mean if you go all the way back to the origin story of the cars and you know the family that you know that built them and which is the, what, the porsche family? family okay the porsche family yeah okay. i mean you know i mean they they built the first cars um you know in a in an old sawmill in gamund austria and they were hand beating them out of aluminum on wood stumps you know and then the car company you know, built from there. So I'm not surprised that the values are where they're at, but I'm grateful that that the world has now come to a point where they appreciate them and and that the cars are celebrated. You know, there was a, a period of time where the cars didn't have much value. And, uh, you know, even Porsche, they struggled in the 80s and 90s. You know, it's just great to see that that the company is so strong now as a whole. But, you know, I just love them. I mean, I've, I've built... 
over 200 of them to the level wow. that, I, that I do in, wow. thir- in 35 years. So, wow. you know, I like to think that I had a small part in helping to keep the interest and, and, and make them, and make them unaffordable. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, yeah, they're a solid investment though, you know? Yeah, um, they are. And I think they'll, you know, even through tough times, they'll, they'll hold value. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I want to ask about advice and business and all this stuff, but I think before asking about business, what's more important to me is how you've had a happy family, a happy life, wife, like you're very family oriented and you've had a very um, beautiful marriage with your wife for so long now. Do you have advice for people out there to have that work-life balance, to have a happy marriage and family? Well, you said it. You said balance, and that's the key. And Mm -hmm. so we've been married 27 years. My wife, she didn't know much about cars or really have any interest in cars, but we fell in love, and she jumped right in, and and she had a good work ethic, and and we kind of had a dream together. Mm -hmm. Um, We built our first car together um, a year after we were married and did kind of this 
tour around the Western United States when Zane was just two months old. And so she fell in love with cars. Mm -hmm. So that side of it has been good because, you know, that's part of why our business is successful. But when we look, when I look at like the success of my family, you know, we have a, a faith-based relationship. We go to church on Sundays and mm-hmm. and uh, raised, you know, two amazing kids. And I can second that two amazing kids. Yeah. Your whole family is great. <laughs> well, I, they're, you know, they, they grew up at the racetrack. Um, we did everything as a family and we put our boots on and we went to work together as a family. Um, and I think that's really the success is that, that we were just, we've always been moving in the same direction. Mm-hmm. You know, when we got married, Amy put her trust in me that I'm going to be a small business owner and I'm and we're going to build a business together and she said, "Well, I'll do the things that I can." And so for 27 years she's run the back end of the business. Mm-hmm. Um she doesn't like being in front of the camera. She doesn't like, you know, that part of it. She doesn't like, you know, being kind of the front woman. She just wants to be the, you know, kind of charger in the back and mm-hmm. and um here we are. 27 years later, and my daughter's married. My son, um, who has an acting career, but also become part of the business, we all work together every day. And I think that's really, for us, it's it's just that we all work together and, mm-hmm. that, and that we communicate. We're just open book, and it's f- full communication. Mm-hmm. And it's just like full dedication to each other. And we've just, it's just kept us so in sync. I woke up this morning just so grateful for my wife and my kids and the love that we share because that's, that's really what it is. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. Was mm-hmm. there certain things that you really wanted to instill in your children growing up to pursue their own paths and dreams? Yeah, to, to really find their own lane. Mm-hmm. I'll use Zane as an example. You know, Zane grew up, you know, riding around in the Porsches with us. And, you know, so of course, as a father, you know, I'm like, well, got him on a bicycle. And, you know, I had him on little, you know, four wheelers when he was like three, four years old. And by the time he was five or six, I had him in a little go-kart and then he raced quarter midgets. So by the time he was eight years old, he had raced go-karts and quarter midgets. And so early on, I was like that excited dad, like, oh, I got my boy. I'm going to, I'm going to raise a race car driver. And he taught me a lesson. It was that realization that when you're raising a child, it's not about you, it's about them. Hmm. Every year from when he was like five until he was eight, he had to sign his little racing license Mm -hmm. because he had his quarter midget association race license. And so we were sitting at the table. He was eight, almost nine years old, and we gave him the paper and and we're filling it out. And he pushes it back at us. And he says, I don't want to be a race car driver. And it was that moment that I was like, did I just like, you know, have I just ruined my kid's childhood? Mm. You know, because you, you know, almost take it internally. Well, car people were like, you know, why wouldn't he want to race go-karts? You know, I've got all these connections. I can, he says, I want to, I want to sing in a choir. And I'm like, where did, that came out of left field. Mm. So when he was nine years old, he started singing in a choir and then he um, started doing theater. And then by the time he was 10, he had an agent down here in L.A. Now, we're in Oregon. and Did that have to do with the move a little bit? It did. Yeah. So what Amy and I just realized is we just have to let our kids be free and mm-hmm. just support them and let them figure out what it is in life that they want to do. But Zane had his career in acting, and he came to me a couple of years ago and said, Dad, he goes, you know, I enjoy what my career path has been. But I love these cars, and I want to work with you every day. 
Wow. You know, we supported him. I never told him he had to come and work with me. And we just, I, you know, of course, I always left the door open. It's so good for you to allow him to, to find that on his own and not force something, you know? Yeah. So that's like you ask for advice. That It's just let your kids be free, mm-hmm. support them, and see where it takes them. We did that with both of our kids. And, you know, Jade, she trained aerial acrobatics and wanted to be in Cirque du Soleil. And after college, she asked if she could come and work with her mom and run the back end of the business. So now we truly have a family business. Hmm. I think it shows in in all the work you guys do. And when your name comes up, it's like, in a way, the way you communicate with your household, you also communicate with your clients. You treat everyone like family. And I think that's what makes it so special when you own and... You know, an Emory, you know, 356, you're like, you, you own a piece of family in a way. And I, and I think that translates in the work that you do. Well, thank you. What happens when you run out of 356s? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I, I get that question all the time because, uh-huh. you know, you, you, you know, to the average person, they've become unobtainable, right? You know, the only time you see one is whether it's on Bring a Trailer or it's, uh, you know, it comes up on eBay every once in a while. And, you know, the values are so high. And, you know, Porsche built, from 1950 to 1965, there were 76,000 built. Mm. So that's nothing when you look at numbers that car companies are building today. I mean, they'll build 76,000 Camrys, I don't know, probably in four months, right. you know? That was over a 15-year period. There were 76,000 of them built. Of those cars, half of them came to the U.S., and half of the U.S. cars came to California because California was the biggest market for those cars. That puts... 15, 20,000 of those cars, you know, within reach around here, or at least originally, I figure about 30% of those cars are long gone. Because back in the day, you know, if the car got hit, if it wasn't worth fixing, they'd pull the parts off and they'd just crush crush it. it. Mm -hmm. So about a third of them are gone. I think 90% of the, the cars that are left are in circulation. People are driving them, using them. And I think there's about maybe 10% of them that are still undiscovered or sitting somewhere that, you know, needs to be found to be restored or somebody's been holding on to it. I personally, because I've been doing it for so long, I find four or five cars a month. Wow. Four a month. That's a lot. That is a lot. But you have to realize my reach is a lot bigger than the average person, you know. I'm sure people send them to you too. Yeah. Most of the cars that I, and, and I say I only buy like maybe a third of what come to me because I don't want to buy a car that's numbers matching or that's, I want the one that's missing its engine, missing its transmission, somebody cut the nose off. I would say that probably half the cars that I get are abandoned projects. Mm. And so a lot of people will buy one of these little cars for $30,000 or whatever. And oh, I'm going to make this my project in the garage. And they take it apart. They send it out and have it sandblasted. And then they just pull their hair out and say, what have I got myself into? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's too big of a project for the average person to undertake themselves. And so half the cars I get, they're basket cases. Something Somebody's taken them apart. They attempted to start a restoration. They did some welding on it. And then they just threw all the parts in it. It probably sat in their garage for five years, 10 years, 15 years. And then I get that call. Hey, my wife said, I got to get this car out of the garage. First thing I do, if it's somebody that doesn't know anything about the cars or doesn't know the values, I want to sleep at night. So the first thing I do is I go, look, this is what the car is worth. And here's some, you know, kind of comps. You know, you can see it on cars that have sold on eBay or cars mm-hmm. that, you know, and and try to educate them. Right. And a lot of times, the reason they're willing to sell it to me is because these cars, it's a connection. 
they bought that car with a dream of someday restoring it and driving it and enjoying it. When they came to the realization, they couldn't. Um, and I mean, I have people, when, when I buy cars, the first thing they ask is, will you please send me photos when it's done? Because these cars have such an emotional connection yeah. that oftentimes people just want to see it roll again and yeah. live again. And fortunately, they know that if they send it to me, I'm going to build that sucker. Mm. You know? It'll be an art piece yeah. that'll live on. Yeah. yeah. If the 356s do run out, <laughs> what would you do next? You know, I kind of have x-ray vision on mm. these cars mm. just because I've been around them for so long. There's a lot of cars that were restored in the 80s and 90s, even in the early 2000s that were due, like quick restorations and the cars were shipped overseas or and now some of them have come back. The market like in Japan was huge in the late 80s, early 90s and a lot of cars went over there, but there was a lot of people that were doing just kind of quicker restorations. I won't say bad work. Mm-hmm. Well, 30 years later, the paint's starting to you know, show signs and those cars need to be re-restored again. So there's always going to be cars that need to be restored Mm -hmm. and need to be saved. So Mm -hmm. it's been my life's work for 35 years. I I think I'll be building these things for another 30 years. Yeah. It doesn't sound like you're going anywhere. And then you have Zane to probably take over. I got Mm -hmm. Zane there. I got Jade there. My son-in-law drew an amazing crew. I mean, there's 20 of us within the walls or within the business. It's it's Mm -hmm. not a big company, but it's a strong team, you know? Yeah. Well, Rod, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. It's been a true honor to sit down with you. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's great to finally meet you and... I always love hanging out with her. So yeah. yeah, you've always been such a huge supporter to me as well. Even when I was a nobody, just turning wrenches in a borrowed garage on a friend's car because I couldn't afford parts myself. I'm forever grateful of that. So well, thank you. You know that offer will stand for life. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, Rod. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. 
Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.